So anyway, a lot has been happening at the church, and it's really exciting to be back. And, uh, and uh, I think church is going to be absolutely different. I hear so many people say, I can't wait for things to be normal. Well, I don't think God wants us to be normal. Well, just look at me. I'm definitely not normal. Um, but it's exciting in this new season where God's calling us and to, to be worshiping together as a church. Uh, really, really exciting. And as you saw... Um, Excuses for children's ministry. There's a, a brand new vision for where we're taking our children's ministry, and we're excited for that journey that God's taken us on. Uh, the Spitzbund ministry, um, for those who've been with me in, in youth ministry, have known that I've been longing to do a short term mission trip for about four or five years. And uh, in 2020, uh, William and I had sat together and said, This is the year. Well, it wasn't. Um, but 2021, to finally have gone on a short term mission trip. Um, and really exciting and something we've booked for next year for definite. Well, tonight's our title, our sermon is What's Stopping You? And we're going to look in, in Mark chapter 10. So if you can turn with me uh, there, Mark chapter 10. And uh, what's stopping you there? And, and here we see this, this kind of key point. Uh, James and John kind of asking Jesus a, a key question here. And uh, we're going to look into that. And Jesus kind of, any with an incredible statement, is, is the Son of Man, I mean, the Son of God, didn't come to serve, uh, be served, but to serve. So what's stopping you? Well, I just want to say that it's been an incredible journey. Uh, by the end of May, well, the 1st of May, I've served at the church 12 years and gotten to know many people. And uh, looking at in ministry, I... Uh, I was looking at ministry at a Durbanville Baptist. One of the girls that was in children's ministry has her child in children's ministry now. And, and realizing that things have gone on for a long time and I'm getting a bit older and less hair. And, um, but one of the things that always stood out for me at Watercliff is the heart. Is the absolute servant heart. I remember one of the incidences is before we had been gotten involved in summer camp. Um, going back, for me, I had taken a bit of a breather from summer camp, a bit of a break from it. And uh, when stepping into the youth pastor position from the children's ministry, one of the requirements was to go back to summer camp. And I remember getting there and knowing some of the guys and, and seeing what was going on. And I'd always go speak to some of the crew members. And I remember this one particular year, things were going really bad. And I just looked. There were a few guys that were, just had these incredible servant hearts. If anyone remembers Corbus, um, he was grafting. And, and half the crew, in fact, more than half the crew, were by the swimming pools just swimming and doing things. And I just watched this guy, and he was being broken. And, and I came alongside him and just saying, you know, Corbus, what's going on? You know, and, he, and he would share his heart. And I said, okay, well, we've got your back. And it was so lovely to be able to say that because what I did is I went to our youth group and I said, guys, let's get stuck in. And I remember Watercliffe just coming, uh, the youngsters from Watercliffe coming and packing up chairs. I remember them picking up litter. I remember them just running around in whatever they could do. Yes, they had paid on camp. Yes, they could just go to the pool. Yes, they had many excuses that we could have had. But the guys just got stuck in. And some of you guys are here. They did that. And the impact that that made on some of the crew and, and some of the people there has um, been incredible. Because I still, as I journey in ministry, as I, I go and connect with people, I remember the guys going, oh, man, 
I remember we were struggling, and then there was Watercliffe Baptist. Guys came in, got stuck in, and served in an incredible way that made an impact that was way beyond what you would know. That it's fact that it's still spoken about. And it was never about Watercliffe Baptist. It was never about the youth group's name. It was not about that. It was simply just serving. And I've seen in this church many calls to serve. Many opportunities to jump in. And I have seen people do that from meals during COVID time. Um, uh, Just part of our COVID response. To putting up with preschoolers, I remember one of the first holiday clubs I was involved here. We had a guy called Kevin Locke running around with preschool kids. Okay. And I'm like, Kevin, are you okay? And they were clinging on him and using him as a human jungle gym and pulling at his beard. And, uh, okay, he didn't have a beard then. But just served. Just did that. And I've seen us get involved as a church. And so much has happened. But I've also seen a pause where church has become very different. Where it's looked different. Our dress code has been different. It's pajamas predominantly. Okay, with a cup of coffee. We have the coffee during the service. In fact, we put the kettle on while Pastor Paul was preaching in the service. Okay. We've eaten breakfast during the sermon. Anyone did that? Watch the sermon from the bed. Anyone do that? All right. Anyone watch the sermons on Thursday? Instead, I know the stats. I can see what YouTube tells me. (laughs) And church has become so different in how we do it. Our environments and our place has been so different. We're so tired and and there's so much and we seem to be on edge. and, and, And we haven't done holiday club and we haven't had summer camp and we haven't had opportunities. And, and it's looked so different. But we come into a brand new season and an exciting season that is not going to be normal. It's not going to be the same. But God has got his plans. Isn't exciting? And so what happens is we dive into Mark, and we jump into Mark, and we're going to pick it up from verse 32, uh, chapter 10, verse 32. What happens here is Jesus predicts, well not predicts, he prophesies his, his death. Once again, this is the third time he does this in response. And this time, he's giving so much more detail. In fact, the way the Gentiles are going to respond and their involvement in this whole thing. So let's pick up in verse 32. It says, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. When he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and there the Son of Man will be betrayed by the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and he will be handed over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. And you see this point here, this, the disciples here, it says, are astonished. The followers are afraid. And Jesus kind of brings us, this is the destination we're going to. Jerusalem's where we're going. This is about to go down. This is about to take, take place. No wonder why they were afraid. Going up, they had been to Jerusalem many times. They'd been up that uphill journey to Jerusalem. They'd done that. 
But here, as they, they're astonished, they're, they're aware, and Jesus' ministry has changed, and the season of persecution is here, and, and the disciples have journeyed and seen, and Jesus is kind of saying, this is what's going to take place. Now, Jesus has spoken about this twice before. The first time, what does happen? What happens? Well, Peter kind of jumps out, man of action, kind of argues with Jesus over this. The second time that Jesus mentions about what this, what's going to happen to the Son of Man, what do we find the response of the disciples? Well, they're arguing amongst themselves about who's going to, who is the greatest. Just after what Jesus has said. Like, hello, if you've ever missed anything. You know, saying to, to our kids, are you listening? And it's just going in, in one ear and out the other. Third time, Jesus is kind of mentioned in so much more detail. This is what's going to take. And disciples moving from this place of astonishment, followers that are afraid. What do we see James and John respond in the midst of what Jesus has just said? Well, we pick it up, verse 35. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Isn't that a dangerous line? Any of you guys said that to your parents? Mom and dad, I want you to do whatever I ask. Or you've gone in and said, just, I'm going to ask you something, just say yes. Anyone done that? This is kind of turning around to Jesus and saying, write me a blank check here. I'm about to ask you something and just, just give me the rubber stamp. I want to go ahead with this. If you want to read the Matthew account, we see the Matthew 20, uh, the same account of this. And, and what happens is we're told that James and John's mother actually goes. Mommy's boys. Um, possibly the aunt, Salome, uh, possibly the aunt of Jesus, and kind of thinking there's a family kind of benefit here. And she goes out of the interest for her sons. So whatever we, whatever we, whatever we, um, we want you to do for us, whatever we ask, Jesus comes to say, this is what's happening in the Son of Man. But we want you to do whatever we ask. What do they want? Well, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? So what's this really about? What do you want me to say yes to? What, what is this you're going on? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Carry on. Do you, not, you do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink of the cup? Uh, I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink of the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I baptize them with. But to sit at my right hand or to the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those who have been prepared. Then the twin heard about this and they became indignant. With James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who, who regarded as rulers and Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. And for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and gave his life as a ransom to many. 
So what stops us? We're getting to a place of service. And I know many of you have been involved in service. Some of you have been involved in service for many years. You know, Uncle Brian, Sunday school for 45, I think it's almost 50 years, if I'm correct, Jess, of Sunday school ministry. How he didn't lose his hair, I don't know. Some of you have done that for long term. You've been faithful stewards in, in what you have. Some of you have got many holiday clubs under your belt. Many chosen things. Christians had many flights down the, the hill um, with kids on his back. Many of you have served. But we get to this place where sometimes we've paused. We've got to a place where we're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And so I've titled it, What is Stopping You? Well, what are some of the things that stop us? Well, we stop serving when what? When we have the right focus but the wrong motive. When we have the right focus but the wrong motive. James and John come here and we can look at this question and we can kind of go like, Ooh, I don't know if I would ask that kind of question. You know, how can they? And we kind of judge them on that question. But sometimes we ask that very question of God. They've got the right focus. Here, James and John have taken in something that has been said. Jesus has spoken about the thrones that the disciples will sit with him later on. So they've got some of this context. They're aware that something's about to happen. Turmoil is about to happen. Danger is about to happen. James and John on this, and they've taken that opportunity. Okay, Jesus, you've said this. We know you're going to be victorious. We know you're going to rule. We know you're going to reign. Right focus. We know you're king of kings. We know you're lord of lords. We know that. We want to share in that glory. We want to sit under your glory. Correct focus. Motive? Not so good. We want to sit at your right hand and your left. Well, what was the right hand? It's the second most important person. The left just under that. A person that would have such incredible authority over those. You know, I want to sit at your right hand. I want to be in control because you see what Peter's like. Somebody needs to be in charge of Peter. As for Judas, you know, I don't know. He keeps on seeking off. You know, somebody needs to leave you. Somebody needs to have authority. And this motive is about what I can get. What I can gain. Yes, Lord, you're victorious. You are Lord of Lords. You're King of Kings. But I want something out of this. Doesn't this become our human nature? Doesn't this our fall to? We call it desires of the heart. Isn't they? Don't we all want to be like James and John and have a place of position? Don't we all want to be noticed? Don't we all want to have a place where we kind of just feel like we've got power? Don't we want to all have a place where we feel like we belong? A fit purpose role? Don't we have that? Don't we see in the Garden of Eden? Surely you'll become like God. Oh, I like that. That's our very nature. And we can confess that God is Lord and we can say, God, you're victorious and you're King of Kings and, and, and you rule. Right focus. 
But we can have the wrong desires, the wrong motive. How do you think the name and claim it movement starts to come in? God, I believe you're Lord and I believe you're great and you're powerful and you can do, but you must give me because I asked. You see that kind of question? Give me whatever we ask. Don't we sometimes do that and try to negotiate with God? And so we start in ministry. God, I'll do this ministry and I'll, I'll serve for you. Why? Because I want to be noticed. I joined a team called the WOW Team. Um, it was a Baptist youth ministry team. And uh, they would still be going, but I joined them. And so I was on the last one. I think I broke it. Um, and I joined it because I wanted to, to do great things for God. I really sensed God had called me to ministry and I sensed this was the right role to go. But some of my motive, those guys got to travel the country. And they got to go to schools and they were the musical team. And I pictured that there, you know, my long hair that I did have and, and kind of on stage and singing, you know, for God. But there would be girls across the country getting numbers. If I'm genuinely honest. I'm so glad God told my team's director that I was tone deaf and that I would be behind the sound desk because he had other plans, because he knew my desires. And sometimes don't we do that in ministry? God, I want to do this. Why? Because it looks so much fun. God, I want to do this because, hey, check, check what they do. They get a free t-shirt. You know, the summer camp guys, they get a crew t-shirt. Yeah, when I said that looks cool, they don't really do much. Yeah, come on, life saving. You just stand by the pool and blow the whistle. Yeah, and they get a free T-shirt. Yeah, I want to do that because it's a place of notice. It's a place of position. It's a place of this. Aren't we sometimes like James and John? We slip into the wrong desires. So why? Why do we serve? And maybe you've gone out and you've served in ministry and you've been involved and, and maybe you've been hurt. Tell you what, sometimes it's so sad that, that ministry can be the place where you can be the hurt most. Maybe you've been disillusioned. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've just burnt out. But what was our motives for doing it? Why did we do it? Right focus, but wrong motive. It's getting back to a place and saying, God, I desire to serve fully for you. And this is going to be difficult. Because sometimes the most difficulty is not listening to the desires of God's heart. Seeking the will of God's heart. Sometimes it's trying to find my own will and put it aside. That's the most difficult thing to do. To find the right motive in this. What stops us? What stops you? Secondly, when we forget the cost. When we forget the cost in this. Jesus kind of, I love this in a, an incredible way. Um, kind of turns to the people, turns to James and John and, 
and doesn't kind of rebuke them straight away. He uses the moment to kind of teach them. He doesn't go, hey, guys, I've just told you about my death and resurrection. I, I've just, I just told you about what's going to happen and how the chief priests, this should be horrifying you. You should be at pause and saying, whoa, let's talk about this. But you've gotten focused on the wrong kind of question here. He doesn't kind of just kind of, kind of brings them back in. And it says, uh, um, verse 35, uh, sorry, verse uh, 37. Okay, let me get focused again. <laughs> All right. He says to them, can you drink of the cup and drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptizing, baptized, uh, baptized with? So what he's saying here is, hey guys, the cup I drink means can you go through the suffering that I'm going to experience? Knowing that the cross is coming. Knowing that betrayal is going to come. Knowing that I'm going to take on the very sin of the world, both past, future, and present, onto my shoulders, and that's going to come. You know what I've done? Knowing what it means to cry out, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? To know that. To be rejected by the very people I love. The very people I die for. Do you know that cup I'm going to drink from? Do you realize the cost? You want this victory. You want to see me on the throne. But do you realize the cost of what that victory is? Do we know that? Can you be baptized? Can you be baptized? What it's talking about there is can you experience the amount of suffering that I'm going to go through? He's not talking about a sprinkling of suffering. A little bit of home affairs for an hour or two. He's talking about this immense pain and anguish that he is going to go through. Immersed in. Do you realize the cost? Do you realize the cost of his victory? Do we realize the cost? See, we can pause and sometimes lose focus. We can come in so numb to the gospel. See, God doesn't call us to serve because we need to get, any, get something. Or serve because we want approval from him. He calls us to serve because of his acceptance and sacrifice. Because he's paid the cost for us. Now I use this illustration too many times, I know that. But for me it's so key. Breaking down on Durban Road in Durbanville, which is in the Cape. Doesn't make sense, I know. But okay. Breaking down... On the Foss Lane, because I was in Joburg, uh, from the south of Joburg, teaching the Cape Tonians how to drive. Okay, so I was in the Foss Lane. And kind of mid midday traffic and chaos and people hooting behind me. And here I am with my entire staunchness, trying to push my car out of the Foss Lane, down across two other lanes with Cape Tonian drivers. Um, and a taxi stopping. Getting out. And helping me push my car. Saying to the guys, like, I've got nothing for you. And the guys are like, no, sweet. And jump in the taxi. What was my response later on after that? When the taxi cut me off, I was like, hey, hey, buddy. <laughs> Comrade. <laughs> 
did change eventually, I'll be honest. But there was such an appreciation. See, we serve because of the cost that was paid for us. Do we realize that? Do we realize the cup that he drank from? The baptism that he was baptized in? Do we realize that? That he died for you and me. Not waiting for us to respond. Not waiting for us to get to a certain place and saying, God, you know, okay, I'll, I'll do this first. Simply, it is finished. It is done. It's paid for. But John goes on and, and James and the kind of Jesus asks this kind of key question. And what's the answer? We can. This tells me that they didn't, definitely did not hear to the few, first few verses. It definitely went through their ears. Okay, do you realize I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead? Do you realize this is going to happen? The chief priests are going to betray. And James and John kind of turn around and say, we can. And Jesus kind of doesn't shout at them. He doesn't kind of school them. doesn't bring this lesson uh, to them. But he says, yeah, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I baptize you with. What's Jesus meaning there when he says that? Well, James was executed by Herod. He was the first disciple to be killed, to be martyred. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. John was the last of the disciples to die. You find that interesting? The first, the last, out of the two. How God uses things and situations and he plans things. John, as we know, went through incredible pain and hardships. Exiled onto the island of Patmos. Dying at the age of 98 as a blind and broken man. God used him and his cup was heavy. His baptism was great. And so too came a credible cost. So what stops us? What stops us when we forget the cost of what Christ has done for us? But also we forget that it's going to cost us. See, service isn't comfortable. It isn't praise. It isn't comfort zone. It isn't kids writing you the most letters at holiday club. That's not the service. Service costs. There's a price to pay at that. You know, the times that I've found that the greatest ministry that has happened has never been in the programs and it's never been through the sermons and it's never been through the talks. I wish I had youngsters going, that was incredible talk. I remember when you said this. When did it happen? At 11 o'clock when the parent hadn't remembered to pick up their child. And I wanted to go home. My stomach was grumbling. I'd been here since at half past seven in the morning. And here you're waiting at 11 o'clock and this interesting conversation happens. I've been here the whole day. You, sleep, you wait till 11 o'clock at night to ask me this question. At summer camp, when lights were out, we had dawn time. I asked you if you had any questions. You didn't ask me anything. Why wake me up at two in the morning? Dan, actually I have got something. It's two o'clock in the morning. 
been the most incredible ministry opportunities to take place. It comes at a cost. And we forget that. Because we slip into this ministry basis as comfortable. As, oh, I love this. The girls are going to give me their numbers because I sing so well. It's going to come at a cost. Are you willing to pick that up? Because I tell you what, when you are, to see God at work, to see God do things, wow, to see his name be known. Are we willing to do that? So what's stopping us? We stopped when it's the wrong motive. We stopped when we forget the cost. But we also stop when we fail to put others first. We stop when we fail to put others first. Jesus kind of goes on to to remind them that it's kind of God's place of who sits where. That God is enthroned. He is in rule. And it kind of, Jesus kind of shifts this kind of basis to them. But then he goes on and we see this is taking place as Jesus kind of talking to them. We told in verse 41, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. This indignant is furious. ISV kind of highlights that word. This is angry. This is the guys going and going, James and John and and Peter, you were the closest. You know, the three and Peter, they're leaving you out of this. And and they're kind of probably putting Peter in the center of the circle and kind of moaning about this. Did you see what these guys are doing? Do you see what's taking place and happening there? How dare they? Ever done that? What's very interesting is, were they moaning because of what James and John had said? Or were they moaning because they got to ask Jesus first what was in their very hearts? Sometimes we're so easy to point out the sins of others that we forget that it really reveals the sins of our own heart and what's going on. When they should have gone... You know, James and John, their family, you know, go for them. Great question. I wish I had got there first, you know, kind of encouraging them to a basis. They let this feelings of anger, kind of this emotion, build up in them. When we forget to put others first, so often I sometimes find that it lets the emotions grab hold of us. The anger. Why did they get that position? Why did they get this? Why does it always seem to go right for them? Why do they have this right? Why can't I get acknowledged? Why can't this take place for me? Do you find that? And the emotions that kind of build in and take control and start to fester with the inside. Ever had that? And so Jesus at this point is this this furiousness, this festering in this conversation that, that is breaking probably John and James down. Who do they think that are kind of taking place? Jesus does this. He calls them together. He pulls them and it's kind of like a team huggle. Come boys. Let's get together. Let's, let's jump in here. Let's do this together. 
And he says, do you not know that those who are regarded as the rulers and the Gentiles lord over them? And the high officials exercise authority over them. He's going to point out to the Romans. Do you check the ranking system that's taking place? The saluting that's taking place? Do you see how the Romans are causing the hassle here? The, the persecution that's taking place? Do you see how the Gentiles are responding? Do you see how we're trying to step on each other? Couldn't be said of this world today. Trying to fight out. Doesn't care who I step over. I want to get to that position. Doesn't matter what I compromise. I need to get there. I need to be at the highest position. I need to be at a place of being noticed. I kind of want to fit in. I want to be in the center. I, I want it to be about me. Kind of basis. Don't you see how the Gentiles are doing this? This is what he's saying. Well, don't you see how the world is also doing the exact same thing? How do we notice this? Come to election time. Do you notice those promises? I know we promised it before, but we promise it again. We are going to do this. Okay? We're going to do this, and, and look at this, and, and, and put us first, put us in this place, and look what we will do for you. But don't we do this exact same? We fail to put others first. Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you mustn't fight for rank to get that great position. Must what? Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be made a slave of who? Of the highest position, of the highest person. Uh, no, the slave of all. So if you want to have a great name, Put others first. Serve. In your life, and you look at back at those who have had the greatest impact in your life, you'll probably find there were guys that just loved you. Guys that came along you. Guys that built into you. That made sacrifices for you. Aren't those the greatest? I think of Mother Teresa, not a grand high position, but yet had such a name of greatness. Yet you look at those in position of authority, they're respected for their place of authority, but haven't had that impact. Serve. You want to make a great impact, serve. Serve all. There's a story of a lady who, during the middle of, of June, July, walked past a shop and noticed a 10-year-old little boy peering through the, the window of a shoe shop. And she looked at him and, and his feet were bare. And he wasn't even from Pretoria. Had no shoes on him. Freezing cold. And this boy's there and her heart just broke. And she said to him, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm just praying that God could give me a pair of shoes. And so she took him into the shop and straight away said to the salesman, I want 10 pairs of socks. As the salesman's running there and she said, I also want a basin and a towel. She got down and washed this little 10-year-old boy's feet and dried them and put a pair of socks on them. 
Then getting a pair of shoes, she fits the shoes on his feet. And she says that you'll be more comfortable now. And as she was about to leave, the little boy turned around to her and said, Ma'am, are you God's wife? We all want to be a place of significance. We all deep down inside, I know it because I have it too, want to make an incredible impact. We want to see change happen. We really do. But where does it start? It starts by putting others first. That's what he's saying. Don't do what the world does, but flip it over. And if you really want to see this modeled out, what stands out in the news? It's not a politician that uses the country's money to pay for something that the country paid for that he should have done anyway. But it's those who have done incredible sacrifice and put others first. That really break the hearts. That make an incredible impact. We stop because we fail to put others first. We've jumped into me, what suits me. Now I want to be open with you here. We do need volunteers in our church ministry. It is one of my driving factors behind preaching the sermon tonight. We realize we're about to enter into a brand new season and there's incredible things. But I don't think we actually need volunteers more than those we need with servant hearts. See, volunteers choose what they want to do, when they want to do it, and when it benefits them. But if we had people with a servant heart, At a place that said, God, I want to be used by you. Here I am. And even if it means hiding in a corner, doing the smallest of things. Even if it means running out to to Spitzpint. In the rural areas of Limpopo. In the very dry, hot, dusty place. And by the way, you can do that if you guys. Okay, on Saturday, please speak to Henny. Incredible opportunity to go out there. I've just been out there. An incredible opportunity to make an impact in that, that family. Bosto Homozo and the ministry there. It means jumping in and saying, God, I wanna I wanna put others first. I just want to love people. I want to serve them. I want to do any opportunity. Imagine if we as a church were stumbling over each other for the opportunity to serve one another. Because it was in our very essence of our hearts of putting others first. Imagine the impact in this community that we could have. Imagine the difference. Imagine the season of ministry that could take place. Because we long to put others first. What would happen? Then lastly, what's stopping us? We stop when we fail to look at the perfect example. We stop when we fail to look at the perfect example. Jesus, in his loving way of kind of coaching and and building into the disciples, kind of says this, verse 44, And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. 
Who could require service? Who is deserving of service? It is Him. Deserving of all our praise. We should be running around. We should be doing things for Him. You know, He's the one that should be acknowledged. He's the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. But He came not to be served, but to serve. Guys, this should make us uncomfortable. If we want to make an impact, if we want to display who Christ is through our life, it's going to happen through our servitude. For he came to serve. And serve at an incredible cost. And to give. Notice give. Not just have it taken away. It's the choice. I'm giving it. His life as a ransom. This word ransom here has actually got to do with in terms of slavery here. There's various definitions that would take place over this word ransom. But basically this ransom is basically a payment to release those who are bound in servitude. But gave his very life at this incredible cost so that we may know freedom. He came to serve. He is my example. So it comes to a heart of servitude. Following his example. Sometimes we forget that. We forget what he has done. We forget that he could have called on things. He could have wiped out our nation. He could have just left us. He could have abandoned us. But chose to serve. At an incredible cost. So as I finish. God is calling us to something incredible. God is calling us to a place of seeing his kingdom come. God is calling us as a Waterkloof Baptist church. To impact our community. And there are many opportunities to do that. Through our ministries of, of coffee and tea at night. There's meeting people, welcoming people. There's so many areas that we can just jump in and serve. To the IEC coming and our community coming through to actually vote at our church. And uh, being part of that. God's giving us these. To our workplaces and having that lifestyle of servitude that impacts the workplace. So how do we get that if we've lost it? Well, we get to a place where we say, God, right now I need you. God, I've kind of lost sight on all things. God, I've kind of burnt out. God, I've been disillusioned. God, I've been hurt. God, I've been this. And being real with the Lord exactly where, because he is the one who can understand. And then concluding with this. God, what's stopping me? Because God, I want to serve you Whenever, even if it's at two o'clock in the morning, even if it's the most inconvenient moment, God, I want to serve you whenever you call for it. Whenever the need arises, I want to serve you. God, I want to serve you wherever. And that's dangerous. I know that. God calls you. He doesn't tell you where you're going to go. I landed up in Port Elizabeth, and you've seen people in Port Elizabeth. Pastor Paul, I went, no, no, okay. Um, <laughs> God, I want to serve you wherever, whenever. 
with whoever. I'm not going to choose to just serve those who I know. I want to serve whoever and whatever it takes I want to do. Are you to be brave enough tonight to do that? To say, God, whenever, wherever, whoever, and for whatever, I want to be used by you. After all, what is stopping you? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for help us to almost have a fresh reminder of the grace and the mercy that you've given us through dying on that cross. May it be almost like we've heard it the first time, the fact that we've been loved by you. The fact that you know our sins, you know the things we struggle with, you know what we wrestle with, you know we we failed and we've disappointed and we've let down. You know the hurts we've experienced, but yet you have loved us. Not because of what we've done, because you loved us first. Lord, we get distracted. We get caught up with a desire and we all get caught up in this. I know how much I often get caught up with the desires that I want. The focus on trying to become a great youth pastor instead of serving. Focus of trying to be known for things instead of making an impact for things and having the greatest youth ministry for things. I'm losing that focus on what I'm really called to do. I don't know there were people here that will feel the sex same. Lord, may we get on our knees and ready to pick up the towel. To be used by you whenever, wherever, for whoever, and whatever it takes. Use me. We pray in your name. Amen.